I'm Jez Benton, and this is Route to the Top. I'll be meeting with a whole range of leaders. We'll climb a mountain together and do a video podcast from the summit. <laughs> in this episode, we're in the Rocky Mountain National Park in Colorado. I'm here with Andy Tomatic. She's the CEO of Quaker Houghton. And for the first time, we have to show it to camera, Andy. We had to wear spikes because... All four seasons. All four seasons. If you could see behind <laughs> us, in fact, we'll probably film behind us on the way back down. We have a big snow slope um, and a few icy patches as we came up. But it is a gorgeous day. And we're at, what, 9 a.m. in the morning, 9.30? Yeah, it's something like that. So we set off at 6-ish from the hotel, uh, drove up and then did this hike. So it's been great. So welcome. Yeah, thanks. Thanks Thank for the opportunity. Thanks for joining me. Um, I'm going to start... It's called Route to the Top. So we usually start with what's your route been? What's your journey been? But I'm not going to start oh, there. Yeah. I'm going to start. Cool star ready. I'm going <laughs> to start with uh, why chemicals? Because mm. you have been in this industry pretty much your entire working life. Yeah. So what is it about the, the industry that's, that drew you to it and that's kept you here. I enjoyed chemistry as I was coming up through high school and college and uh, always wanted to do something related to it. Always more technically oriented. I'm one of those STEM, STEM type people. Um, but chemistry in particular, I think always just made sense to me. Um, it's, I always call it it's like Tinker Toys. Um, you're just assembling different pieces together and reassembling and creating really cool stuff um, that, that actually makes life better. But once I got into the industry, um, what was really fascinating is you're, it, it, it's referred to as a process industry. So there's not one step. So you're not just making a widget. You're not just compiling a bunch of parts, assembling it, and then you're done. Right. You're typically going through multiple steps. And it always fascinated me, the idiosyncrasies of that and some of the complexities and the balancing you had to do if you made a choice in one step, what that was going to happen to you downstream. Um, that, was, that was always intriguing to me. And then the people. Um, it's, a very, um, it's a very committed industry. I mean, next week um, at the ACC meeting, there's a lot of people there I've known for decades. Um, and so it's a pretty tight-knit community too. And uh, so the combination of kind of the characteristics of the industry and yeah. then the people, I think, have, uh, have always drawn me to, to stay. When was, when, so that, that, that's great. When, when was the last time you, uh, you were into the chemistry mode? Like when was the last time oh you were in the R&D area going, oh, this is interesting? Oh, interesting, just a couple of weeks ago. So, um, so one, of the, uh, one of the committees that Quaker Houghton has, and therefore I have, um, at the American Chemistry Council is called Chemical Management, um, which deals a lot with the regulatory environment. Uh, and there's a number of materials right now that we're engaged with regulatory bodies to, to manage them properly yeah. um, around the world. And some of those have direct impact uh, to us. Um, not that we make them per se, but we use them. Um, or our downstream customers may be using them, and so it has an indirect impact on us. Uh, so two weeks ago, in preparation for the meeting next week and that committee meeting, I sat down with a couple of our R&D folks to kind of go through, okay, where are the impacts for us? Which of these are more critical? What's going to happen if the, this regulation happens on it? How are we going to be able to pivot and still meet our customer needs? So two weeks ago. <laughs> right, two weeks ago. Good. That's, I, I, always, I always like to ask a question like that. It's either that around sort of the, the, the work that's actually done or the clients, you know, and yeah. so I have, I have a view that, you know, 
even if you're the CEO of a, of, of a company, if you're running a bureaucracy, you're a long way away from, from what's happening. And that's either doing what you do, i.e. The, the chemistry and the R&D, or it's working and dealing with clients um, and talking to the customer and, and building those relationships. Yeah. Um, and I know you came up through the sales track, so I'm assuming customer's always on your mind. I mean, I always say, I think one of the best ways to learn an industry and to learn a company is to start in sales. Um, because you have to not only understand what your company can do, but then match that up. Yeah, uh, with yeah what the, it means the in promise. the real world, yeah. right? Um, and where's the value proposition associated with doing that thing you're doing? Yeah. Um, and uh, it enabled me to get a lot of exposure to different types of customers, different end markets, different applications. I think it also opens you up to seeing possibilities. Um, I, I had a, a great, I think it was my second sales manager <clears throat> when I was in the field, who would, who would teach us when he would go occasionally with us on, on customer calls. In, in the office, when we would sit down, he would quiz. He would say, find 10 potential applications looking around this office where our product could or has touched something that was made in this office. And uh, it's just another way of, you know, if I was sitting back um, in the bowels of the enterprise and you don't have that experience, you're yeah. not always thinking or looking for those yeah, things. Yeah, that's us. Yeah. yeah. Well, on that note, um, um, I alluded earlier to Quaker Houghton, the not uh, uh, oatmeal company. Not oatmeal. <laughs> Not motor oil. <laughs> what, 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 what are the, what are the things that you are yeah. chemistrying-ing, if that's yeah. a word, at a really, really basic level? We're we provide chemistry, but it's part of really an engineered solution. Um, so it's about matching what we produce with what's going on in our customers' operations. And our customers' operations, the way to think about it is. As molten metal comes out of a furnace, you can envision this, right? Yep. Molten metal's yep. coming. Whether it's steel, aluminum, copper, all kinds of alloys, it has to be cooled down and shaped into some two-dimensional long form. Could be a sheet, could be a rod, could be a tube. Yep. Um, and there are a lot of mechanical and thermal stresses that go into that. And if our customers could do that without any processing aids, they would, but they can't. Okay. Um, and so that's where we come in. We help them with processing aids that enable that. So they keep their quality levels up, they reduce their scrap rates, they manage their energy consumption. Um, we help them in optimizing the operations of their equipment and so forth. So our, our chemistry is applied to really allow them to operate as efficiently as possible. Then as you go downstream from there, so now you have a sheet or you have a tube or you have a bar, you could use a CNC machine to actually uh, carve out a, uh, a gear or a bearing. Yeah. You could take that tube and make it into an aluminum can. Uh, you could take that sheet and it becomes a door panel for an automobile. Um, and again, there's many processing steps that go on there. So we're there with our customers there too, helping them with um, you know, in-process rust prevention, cleaning aids, um, preparing it for the next step with lubrication so it's going to go through the equipment well and so forth. And then we complement all that. So we're in that kind of that metals value yeah. chain, um, ultimately making parts. We will also provide fluids that are useful to our customers' equipment. Um, and then occasionally we'll actually make a product that stays with the end metal product. 
It could be um, an anodizing material. It could be a special primer for a specialty coating that's going to happen. Right. And so we'll also participate. So in that entire metals value chain, wherever you could, there's you could a be playing multiple parts in that exactly, and it allows us we really get deep relationships yeah. with the customers because we're not we're very rarely solving one one, problem. one thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, you, you, and we were chatting as we were walking up. You're saying you know, depending on what plane you 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 flew here in. Um, it may have been through some of our processes to lighten yeah. the fuselage so it decreases fuel usage and right. but so still so maintains its strength. But, but still maintains its strength. Yeah. So do you have a does the business have a, a view and an eye to the sort of sustainability, mm. emissions, yeah. how you can play a role and help in yeah. in all of that? Yeah, I start back with the way I just described the business to you. If you think about our value proposition in all those different applications, it's reducing scrap, making sure that the quality level is at the highest level for our customers, um, making sure the operations are going well, um, allowing our customers to redeploy their engineers on other problems. We don't always talk about it that way, but yeah. those are all sustainability plays. Absolutely. Um, and so I think the entire industry needs to talk about that more, and we need to talk about that. And that's kind of inherent in, in, in our business. And by the way, one of the things that really attracted me to, to join Quaker Houghton. Then, when you think about the way we formulate products, um, we're pretty agnostic and we can use just about any raw material that's out there and we formulate very regularly with re renewable uh, raw materials. And then of course we've got sustainability goals around our own production and the impact on CO2 with, uh, with uh, very aggressive targets, um, procurement uh, and making sure that we're buying from um, the right types of suppliers that are yep. doing the right things. Um, we also um, have our DEI goals around our, our, our people. Um, and then, uh, and then uh, just our formulations, as I indicated. So we kind of have yeah. a four-pronged way. Yeah, I was going to say, you're, you're coming at it from four different angles. We think angles. about sustainability. So yeah. it's one of those, this is why I say, and I could keep going, but I won't, <laughs> because it's so inherent in everything we do, and that's really exciting for me, yeah. because there's opportunity in the market. The problems keep getting more challenging for customers, because as they're pursuing their sustainability goals. That's right, you're helping them with their goals and their investors, and, that, and that's where the client partnership comes Absolutely. in to be much stronger because you're you're helping them solve other problems that they've got which which isn't the fluids and manufacturing problems there's Correct. a whole bunch of other things yeah. yeah that's the fourth part to the value chain or maybe the first part yeah. to the value chain yeah exactly nice well let's talk about uh, let's talk about you then so we've had a bit about the the business and and again earlier i mentioned you've been in the chemical industry mm. your entire career um but your your journey is a really interesting one, I think, where you've been and what you've done and the roles that you've had and for the last two years at Quaker Houghton. But let, let's rewind mm. back to coming out of college, yep. uh, first job in this space, and then sort of the, uh, from your view, the sort of, what were the pivotal assignments or pivotal yeah. roles that you had that you're like, man, I learned a ton yeah. and Boy, that that moved me forward in my in my career. That enabled me to take the next step. What were those yeah. kind of springboards as you yeah. went along? Yeah. Well, first I would say my route has been nonlinear, um, yeah. which which I by the way I think is one of the secrets behind some of the opportunities I've had because um, I've been willing to to try. And there's been a couple of those pivots. But yeah, coming coming out of uh, of university, I wanted to get into the chemical industry. Um, 
got into the commercial role. I was at the former Dow Corning, the joint venture focused on silicones that's now Parts of it are in Dow, parts of it are in uh, DuPont, um, but I was there over a 27 year period. But as we were chatting at dinner last night, I, I feel like I had four different careers in, yeah. the, in the 27 years that I was there. So that first stint was in commercial, uh, did a couple different roles. One, uh, the first one was uh, also working a lot with our distributors, um, which kind of taught me also how to lead people. Yeah. Um, because I had to motivate a sales force that didn't necessarily work for me, um, but was key to my success. Yeah. Um, Love those roles. Right. The big influence. Uh, and got got to learn, you know, what was going to motivate them, how to help them target things and, and how to really focus in on the right things. And um, then uh, second role commercially, I went kind of the opposite. I went to like key customer management. We used to have a paper business, which uh, interestingly enough, has some analogies. If you're willing to get past the superficial, obvious differences, there's a lot to making paper that's like making metals. Um, some of the processes. Yep, some of the so processes, forth. got it. Um, so, so that actually, that analogy um, has kind of helped me here to, to, to pick up a little bit more quickly at Quaker Houghton. So, so it was nothing like the office? Um, they just sold paper, right, in that um, show? No, no, we, we didn't. Although we probably, I, there were probably some of the antics. David Brent. There were probably some of the antics that, uh, that I'd like to forget uh, that, that went along with it. Um, but anyway, I learned, learned the paper industry a lot. And while I was doing that, I went to grad school part-time. And, uh, and as I was sharing with you, kind of in, in our company at that time, the next path was, okay, go back to corporate headquarters, get into either a classical marketing role, because we had classical marketing roles, the 4P right. uh, type approach. Um, and uh, so I did that, and I actually took a role. Um, so this was one of the pivotal moments. I took a role, um, I turned down a role that everybody else, all my friends were like, why didn't you take that one? It was kind of a normal huh. one uh, that everybody would have aspired to. And there was this other kind of crazy one that was a lot of cats and dogs, and there was some new technology, and we were trying to cooperate with our joint venture partner in Japan. Um, that looks interesting. Yeah, I was going to say, um, why did, why, what, just the adventure of curiosity, that? Uh, okay. uh, curiosity. And uh, so, uh, so I'm like, all right, let me sink my teeth into that. And um, that led to some reasonably good outcomes um, in the U.S. And uh, I had expressed a lot of interest to want to wanna go overseas early in my career. Right. Um, because um, that was part of my academic um, academic training. And then also just... Given my childhood and where I grew up as a kid in the Midwest, I, w I wanted to see the world. Okay. Um, and so it was kind of reinforcing that personal piece too. So I got a chance to, to go do that. And, uh, and that's when I, I lived in Wales and got to experience the, the four seasons every day. Wales, yeah. it's just like this, <laughs> only grayer. <laughs> uh, but as I told you, it was a fantastic time for our family. We, we absolutely yeah. loved it. And that was kind of the second continuation of a pivotal moment because that was my first chance of really like doing business development and okay. build, building a business. So built up a fledgling team from the beginning, traveling all over the continent every week, um, setting up, you know, technical teams, commercial teams, working directly with customers, building up, um, building up a, a business. And that ultimately led, um, what we were doing was trying to create an avenue for some new technology that we were planning to launch. And, um, and as we were doing that, we got to the point where we were ready to launch and had to make a decision on how we were gonna scale. Were, were we gonna scale or were we gonna let somebody else uh, scale this? And so we, we looked at two parallel paths of either acquiring or divesting. Right. And uh, that was pretty heady because we were doing both in parallel. And uh, we ended up acquiring. And uh, after coming back to the U.S. for nine months, 
um, my wife, who is a saint, um, <laughs> agreed to uh, move our small children again in the nine month uh, with nine months in uh, the U.S. back to France. Wow. Um, so, so how intentional? Uh, Dow Corning or Corning Dow? I never know which way. Dow Corning. Dow Corning. Yeah. How, in, how intentional is Dow Corning about th- those kinds of assignments from a talent development standpoint? Is that is that normal for them or is that you, you seeing the opportunities, finding the opportunities and making that happen? Is it a bit of both? You know, was yeah. there somebody that was like, you should do, you know, yeah. you should do this. It'll be great for your career. Like how, how was that navigated? I'd say I, I had the luxury of, it was an environment that wanted to, to develop people. So yeah. there were avenues, but the path that I took was at the extreme. Okay. So for example, there weren't a lot of others, unless you had a very special technical expertise at 30 years old that needed, that was needed that, in Europe, yeah, you, weren't gonna you, go weren't get, you weren't gonna go get assigned to do that. So that was it. a little more at the extreme. I think the, the reason, you know, I think they took some shots on me, the environment was there. Um, but also, you know, I had been willing to take kind of some, I call them left turns, you know, yeah. 90 degree turns and uh, see where it went and, and had managed them relatively well and obviously learned a lot, made a lot of mistakes, yeah. um, but, but kept those going forward. And so I think, you know, it is just kind of seizing the opportunity to always tell people the only person who truly, truly cares about your career is you. Right. There, are, there are others yeah. who care, yeah. but there's only one who's really going to make sure you get what you hope you're going to get, and yeah. that's you. And that's and you. so I, I kind of took that on. Yeah, yeah, that kind of core motivation. Mm-hmm. So you, so you, you use the word mistakes, so I, I can't mm-hmm. let my audience down by not, oh, yeah. not, by not picking on, on a few of those. Mm-hmm. And obviously you've had way more successes than mistakes, otherwise you wouldn't be in the role that you're in yeah. right now. Um, uh, give, give me, give me one or two, because we, we, you know, we know that that's the fertile ground for learning. Yeah. So, what one or two of yeah. your biggest mistakes where you look back and you probably go, actually, I'm kind of glad I made that mistake because I learned a bunch from yeah. it, as opposed to it completely derailed my career and that, yeah. that, that was the end. So there, there were two actually contemporaneous to that time. Um, so I'll just focus on those. I've got others um, as well. <laughs> um, but, but one was more of a business um, mistake or, or, or miss, I would say. Yeah. Um, I sat on the fence too long on what we were gonna do in China. So this was probably around 2003, um, so it was just coming off that period where a lot of multinationals were forming joint ventures yeah. um, in China, um, and a few were starting to do their own foreign direct investment. Um, and um, and I was running now this this global plastics business this is like a hundred and twenty million dollar business, and we had some commercial activities in China, but it was getting big enough. We needed to make a decision where we're going to actually put a team there and produce and so forth. And um, I overanalyzed it, um, you know, just just took too long, um, probably used too much of a Western mindset at that okay. time. Um, and uh, it didn't kill us. Um, it delayed us a couple couple years, but it really taught me to you look, you, you need to analyze things. You know, you can't just do everything on gut instinct, but there comes a point in time where you know enough, yeah. where if you're at that 70 percent confidence, the cost versus benefit of getting to the 90% confidence, you got to ask yourself, is it going to change? Yeah. Is, is, is that going to be fundamental? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and so there was that. Um, the other thing is, um, as part of this acquisition, you know, you're trying to align values and, and methods of working and all those kinds of things. 
and uh, we missed a couple things in due diligence. Uh, I mean, it's funny, we do a lot of work, as you know, um, in the space of cultural due diligence, yeah. um, which is becoming more and more of a thing now, particularly um, with, in mergers and acquisitions. Mm. Um, actually, we're seeing a lot of work with uh, private equity portfolio companies, both pre and post close, where they, they do all the financial due diligence, yeah. and then you ask them about the culture and, and, and how they learn and understand the culture of the place. Yeah. And, the, and, and their answer tends to be, well, it's through the process of learning everything else. You just get a feel for it. And so, I've seen so many times mm. the, that organization having what, whatever the strategy is or the investment thesis is, and then you actually do the work to assess the culture and go, mm. ooh. Mm. Mm. The, do you know what you're getting into? I'm not sure this is going to drive <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, so therefore, the biggest challenge is, is how we're going to shift the culture of the organization yeah. to be able to move forward. Um, so fortunately, we're seeing it yeah. more and more now. And it's not hard to do. I think people think it's hard because culture is a bit of a, you know, a squishy thing. And you could ask yeah. one person what they think it is. And the next person, they give you something different. Um, but if you do that work right, you know, as I say to investors, you can put culture on a spreadsheet. Yeah. You know, we can we can show you what the culture of an organization yeah. is pretty pretty easily, and then you can start to make decisions about what do you want to keep, what what, what needs to change, um, you know, and what's new that needs to come in. Well, it's an oversimplification too, but I've always looked at culture as just a collection of behaviors. Yeah. Like, uh, how, what are the, what are the what are the behaviors that are not necessarily written down, but yep. but are just kind of what what people do. And um, to your point is, if you can kind of assess those, you can determine what are which of those are going to be the showstoppers, and do I have a plan to overcome the ones that that maybe you have to? So yeah, yeah, I agree. It uh, it's uh, not something to overlook. Yeah, yeah, and um, again, as we've been chatting on the way up, and, and yesterday. You, you you quite openly talk about you know figuring out the right behaviors that are going to drive this through you know we're going to be working mm -hmm. with together we are working together on a couple of projects one specifically with you and the and the leadership team which has uh, been through quite a bit of change so let, so let's talk about Quaker Houghton now yeah. um, so a, a merger or an acquisition of somebody told me there is no such thing as a merger there's only an <laughs> there's only an acquisition. I don't, however, you know, because somebody's got to do something. So that happened four years ago. 2019. 2019, yeah. and then you joined in. 20, I joined the end of 2021. End of 2021. Yeah. So, yeah, talk to us about the, the the coming together of those two organizations, and then the journey that the organization has been on for the last. Yeah, couple of years. yeah. So you know, until 2019, there was Quaker Chemical and there was Houghton International. Yeah. Um, both institutions. Um, um, and, and I use that word not loosely. I mean, over a hundred years of history, um, both of them, um, and had been in similar spaces, yeah. but mostly complementary from a geography, technology, position, and market standpoint. Um, and if you looked at it on paper, probably for decades, you'd say, why, why aren't these together? Yeah. Uh, but they had just never come together. Um, they they had the plan. They started uh, started all the planning, announced the deal. I believe in 2017. Uh, the teams started working together. The two leadership teams started working together. In 2019, then, uh, the merger was completed. Merger combination is, uh, is, the, is the colloquial right. reference that we use because they were essentially similar size enterprises. Um, because Quaker was public 
it you know it got integrated yeah. at least financially um, into the Quaker, which is why we still have the the stock ticker uh, for, yeah. for Quaker. For Quaker. Call. But it really is it really was a combination yeah. um, uh, of two equals. The leadership team was made up of folks from both. Uh, and I was the first uh, that was brought in from the outside. And uh, the, the game plan had always been to integrate, well, close the deal, begin integration. The first phase was stabilization, um, finish delivering the synergies, yeah. and then transformation. Yeah. A funny little thing happened though. <laughs> Just a little a couple, thing. A couple months into the stabilization called COVID. <laughs> <laughs> um, which of course uh, made everything about the integration more challenging. But I yeah. give the team incredible credit for what they did accomplish. Um, I would say on the cultural side, they made tremendous headway. Um, as much as you can do two-dimensionally yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, by teams and, and, and so forth. Um, a few of the projects got delayed just because of practicalities of being able to travel and, and things like that. But they made really good headway despite, um, despite the challenges of, of COVID. Then rolled very quickly um, into the global supply chain challenges, which was just before I arrived. Um, and um, it impacted, impacted us. Fortunately, we run a, a, you know, a very healthy balance sheet, so we put it to use. Yeah. Uh, one of our value propositions to our customers is sustainability of supply, uh, which helped us tremendously during this. So we used our balance sheet to uh, deploy on working capital, uh, build up some inventories, and uh, really be in a position. And, and our teams did some unbelievably heroic uh, things. There's a lot of examples, but I love to tell the story of our China team, uh, which is in the suburbs of Shanghai. And as the rolling lockdowns were going on, we had, I think, about 72 hours notice that we were going to be going into a lockdown. Team immediately got as much material into the facility as possible to get converted in that 72-hour period of time got everything that was there made and out because wow. it because it was regional right yeah. it wasn't yeah. all of china so yeah, you yeah. just had to get it out of the zone to the best of my knowledge we're the only one that didn't shut a customer down um, wow so. wow well and they're the stories uh, the thing i love about the stories people tell is you can pull out of that the culture of the place mm -hmm. right so you've got the sort of ethical side you've got the hard working side you've got the don't want to let people down side like you could reel off a whole bunch of words and then as you were saying earlier what are the behaviors that that, that, that are there you know yeah. they're taking the initiative that those teams are coming together they're they're problem solving it in the moment so yeah, yeah. they're, they're yeah. that that story sort of typifies the kind of culture yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely so anyway finding our way through that we've had a few more challenges we did have about two percent of our sales in russia and had to make a decision on what we were doing there and we made the choice to uh, to pull out um we had some business and we had employees in ukraine worked with them uh, those we could get out we got out yeah we had the yeah. the the earthquake in turkey uh, yeah. just earlier this year so you're you're constantly dealing with the world yeah um, yeah yeah and, uh, and then inflation for me personally even with uh, over 30 year career i had never operated nor had most of the people in the organization and the type of inflation that we were facing and uh, so uh, we found our way through that as well yeah so yeah and that would be you know my language on this is you know i use the words disorientating dilemmas mm -hmm. to describe a situation where you have very little or no 
prior experience of to go back into it. Oh, well, the last time this happened, we yeah. just we did this. So let's do something similar. Things have checked, but but when you when you don't have that, so so you know practically, how what what did the team do? How what 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 happened to enable you to yeah. kind of work your way through that as you. A lot, think of back. a lot of engagement. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of meetings, a lot of conversations, a lot of ideas. I mean, first, the team, it's always been built in the nature of the Quaker Houghton employees and colleagues to, to assess value and try to capture value from customers. So we don't, we don't just go tell our customers what the cost of our inputs are and then put a margin on top of it and say, there's your price. Okay. We're typically talking about how much, how much are we going to reduce your scrap next quarter? Yeah. Uh, what are we going to commit to on your uptime and your quality level on a certain grade of steel for the next six months and then we assess a value associated with that with milestones we have to live with yeah. um, and and then price based on that yeah so it's a it's a really robust value and use model and what has served really well for at least the last decade if not longer was it was a relatively stable environment. That's the biggest thing for us this time was how long is this going to last? Yeah. Because um, this is, it didn't appear that it was going to be a one or two quarter kind of thing. So the first thing was us engaging and really getting to an agreement on that. On what do we think? Uh, and then uh, we had to get more into what do we anticipate is going to happen um, rather than what can we prove has happened. Yeah. I think what ultimately did it though was. There came a point in time where I just said, okay, look, I've, I've heard everybody's feedback. I understand. Because the immediate reaction is, if we go too aggressive, we're going to lose, lose clients. a whole bunch yeah. of business. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and that was a significant concern of mine, too. I mean, I don't think we were, we were never trying to be reckless right. by what we were doing. But I finally just said, you know what? This is my decision. So if it doesn't go right, it's on me. So was that 70... 1700 but going back to decision making earlier you talked about was that 1800 based on the I data might have been approaching 70 <laughs> <laughs> I was over right. 50 uh, but I was definitely not at 90 right um, but it was and and we did it and started and then started to really define develop that muscle and and started to have some success and and yeah we've um, we've had a little bit of churn Right. But a relatively minor amount of churn, and I think uh, the team. Oh, we got a. We got a visitor. Yeah, absolutely. Is it a Hopefully jack? not not a vulture. Yeah. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> We're not dying yet. I'm getting hungry, but I'm not yeah. dying yet. <laughs> but uh, but I think it was really just you know the combination of look, um, taking all the feedback, engaging in the discussion, talking about the trade-offs me and the leadership team explaining why we felt we needed to to do it and then you know taking some of the pressure off the team it's like look if this doesn't go exactly the way and you're right yeah that's on us yeah. and we'll we'll manage through that yeah yeah and that gives people the comfort to take the risks and and do what needs to be done to yeah. say you, you know you, you've got cover yeah. um so yeah that's great um so let's dig into into my world. Um, half of my view is uh, folks like yourself, so the running businesses and, and, and so on and so forth. So they'll be taking away a lot from that. And then half of my audience um, is people like Kyle and Melissa, who work yeah. on uh, work work on your team on the on the HR and leadership and DEI side of of, mm -hmm. of, of the business. Um, so as you think about the culture that's developing at Quaker Howen. Uh, what, what's key for you? What are those, you said, you mentioned behaviors earlier, like if you could name three or four that you know is really gonna underpin 
the performance of the organization and you know you had a great first yeah. quarter and we want a great rest of the year what is it from a behavior standpoint from a culture standpoint that's going to drive yeah the the two that immediately come to mind is we're just continuing to reinforce teamwork um, we're at a scale now where we have to we we have to take advantage of that um, i explained to you you know Quaker and Houghton, prior to the combination, were seven to eight hundred million dollar companies, um, and now we're at two billion with with aspirations to get bigger. Um, we've started to take advantage of a, of the scale of some of our functions globally, like our R and D teams. Like we, we run virtual labs now globally, yeah. where the same people who are working on the same subject space may be sitting thousands of distributed miles all over the world. Away yeah. So. It's really reinforcing that proactive teamwork and it's the proactive part of it. It's the always thinking and engaging with who else is gonna be able to help me yeah. or I can help them. Um, and I think just building that naturally into, uh, into how we operate, we just have to keep taking that to a higher and higher level all the time. The other one is, is curiosity. Um, one of the challenges yeah. is this has been a well-run company. And it's been very successful. And when you're then trying to convince people you need to transform and there's yeah. opportunity to go even further, the natural human reaction is, why? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, why don't we keep doing what we're doing and why are we doing things differently? And so trying to build in a little more of that curiosity of not saying what's broken, but what's the opportunity what could be. Yeah. If, uh, if we do it. And, and is that how you would describe the how well how would you describe the transformation like what's the the high level sort of description of that it's, yeah is, is 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 that going to the next level of scale yeah so um the way we talk about it i mean i've answered this a lot of times for investors, for investors. So I'll, give you, yeah, I'll, give, yeah, yeah. I'll give you i'll give you the same answer there's really three themes for us on it because fundamentally we don't want to change our customer intimate approach we're not fundamentally changing the markets we serve there's still ample opportunity and space for us to grow organically and inorganically within that space. But where we can really grow from here is one I say globalize, which what I really mean is scale. Yeah. Take advantage of our scale. And that R&D example is a perfect one. I don't care if the lab in India came up with the solution or the lab in, in Michigan or the, or the lab in, uh, in Thailand came up with it. And if we can redeploy that somewhere else in the world where a customer has a similar problem yeah. and do it seamlessly and quickly, win. Yeah, win absolutely. for the customer, win for us. So there's that globality piece of it. The second thing is around sustainability. So I already talked about that, but yeah. I mean, just taking all of those things to a different level in how we think, how we operate, how we position ourselves, um, and how we prioritize. Yeah. And, and, how you, and how you support your customers' needs in that space Exactly, well. yeah. exactly. And then the last one is really digitize, is, is a simple way of saying it. So you can imagine, we, we have employees that are on our customer's floor. And one of the things they do, for example, is to take samples, because often there's a bath with our material in it that's being applied to a sheet or to a CNC machine. Yep. <laughs> um, and you have to test it because it's living. It degrades, it gets contaminated. And, okay. And so you have to make adjustments to it. You may eventually have to um, recharge and go with new materials. And so one of the ways they do that is they'll take samples um, on a regular basis. They'll go back, they have their own little analytical lab um, at, the, at the customer's facility. And from that, they'll determine, hey, let's go back and make some adjustments. 
And um, what we're doing now is starting to invest in digital capabilities, taking advantage of the internet of things, where it is today and where we think it's going, to start using things like inline sensors um, and uh, developing okay. some of our own algorithms to where we can look at multiple factors and under we understand right. the people who are walking around. Yeah, so it's not all in there. It's but these are yeah. not single factors. There's yeah. usually multiple factors. And and what we want to do first is be able to monitor. So real basic, just like red light, green light. So you don't have to have a human being going and taking a sample. It's like red, something's off. Okay, yeah. now it needs attention. Then we want to eventually get to where we can control. So you can imagine subsequent generations, we may have an ability, even with equipment, to dose. Right, yeah, so, to prevent the red light so in the like first now, place. So now the red light's off, we know what caused the red light, now we know what dosing to do automatically, yeah. we don't have to go do another. And ultimately what we wanna do is optimize to where if we can build alg algorithms and understand these patterns and so forth, that you actually anticipate yeah, two you days get to it before, before the happens. red light is yeah. even coming. Yeah. Um, so globalize, Sustainable digitization, digitization are really the key themes for us as we're transforming. Nice, nice. And then that begs the last question, um, which is around leadership. Mm. And what is it gonna take to lead that transformation? Um, you sort of, you talked about teamwork and curiosity, and I think that's probably general, general for, across the, yeah. the whole organization. You want yeah. that mindset, um, but, but leading, leading that mm. um and i'm not just talking about you here the leadership team and all leaders in the in in yeah. the business how are you how are you thinking about the sort of core tenants of leading that transformation yeah i mean uh i know i cheated a little bit i've you actually did? watched a few of your your videos you're the right? one so i knew <laughs> i knew i knew that there would be a question along this and i actually did a, a curious thing uh, i was like well i have in my mind what that is and what's worked in previous transformations. Yeah. But I decided to actually go back and talk to some people that had worked with me before in other transformations that, I, that I've done and, yeah. and kind of like... Try and unpick that. Yeah, well, it's like, like you talked about the algorithm for yeah. your chemicals. What's the algorithm for the transformation from a leadership? Yeah, what are the point? what are the consistent yeah. factors? I mean, they're all, the way you deploy them, they're all unique. But yeah. What are the consistent factors? Yeah. And and I kind of grouped them, and they was it came up as like four Gs. It's like the first thing is group, and what I mean is we're in this together. It's yeah. kind of reinforcing the teamwork. Teamwork so connectedness. The, the teamwork yeah. the teamwork has to be has to be there for us to be able to move things forward in, yeah. in a positive direction. The second thing. Um, is uh, is um, is is really around goals. So we got to have defined things we're trying to do. We have to agree to them. We have to hold each other accountable. We have to measure against those things. We can't just leave things in the ether. Yeah. Um, we we really have to 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 be able to to move uh, move those things forward. Um, the um, <clears throat> the other thing. Um, um, I'm missing one of them, but, but right. it's really go. It's take action. That's the action to go back to your 1700. Right? And it's, and it's um, don't wait, don't wait until you have all the information. And equally, don't be afraid to pivot. Yeah. So learn as you're going. Yeah. Um, and and that's the fourth G. It just came back to me. It's really growth, right? You got to have a growth mentality, not growth of the business. Yeah. Growth it, as a leader, it, growth for the organization, continuous improvement back to. Let's not wait until something's broken. Yeah. Let's anticipate what could be better and identify those things and, and kind of get it. And I think those are the those are the things. It's around acting as a group, um, having a growth mentality, 
making sure that you have goals yeah. and then go. And then go. You've got that pace, yeah. you've got that energy, you've got that motivation in the in, in the system. Uh, that's yeah, yeah, that's really neat. And and um we we often talk about uh, and clients often go down the road of creating leadership competencies and capabilities. Mm-hmm. Um and they spend nearly as long developing them that then the context changes and they don't <laughs> fit anymore. Yeah. But if you think about those four things, they're they're yeah, sort of they're, 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 yeah, it it it's not um it's not tied to a the particular current yeah. context. Exactly. Um in a way that it's going to be like, well, no, we don't need that in the future kind of thing. There might be other things that come along. Um, but I think that's the trick, especially, you know, as we talked about, you know, we had with the pandemic and then supply chain issues and then the, the war in, in Europe and then um, high inflation. And we know there's going to be the next thing. It's just a All matter that stuff of... rolls off the tongue too easy. Too right? easy, but that's what... Each one of those things could have been like <laughs> oh. decade-defining crises. Yeah, and they've been what? <laughs> two years? Yeah. All four? Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, we, we talk about the um, estimated time between surprises yeah. is shrinking. Yeah, right? So, right? So <laughs> we know the next thing is probably, I don't know, three, six months away for what, you know, whatever it is, as, as much as I, I'm like, oh my God, what's it going to be? I'm hoping it's the law of averages though. We, we, we get, know, we get four done and then we're good for 30 years. <laughs> oh, I like you think, I like the optimism. It's um, not a strategy. <laughs> yeah, that's Hope's right. Not a strategy. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's that ability, you know, within that sort of macro context to say, right, how, how do, do we need to be leading the organization? Yeah. Um, and, and, and that seems to fit that sort of longer running, regardless of what happens in two months' time or six yeah. months' time. If we keep these fo- we keep focused on this stuff as a as a as a leadership group within the organization. And I'm talking all the way down yes. through the organization, yeah, yeah. all levels all of leadership, layers, yeah. then that that will serve you um, you know, very, very nicely. So what next? Uh, other than walking Back down this well, mountain to the, the quads, car. Hoping the quads hold out on, uh, on, uh, <laughs> on the way down. On the way down. But what, you know, what's next for you and the business? And uh, yeah, you know, a, what are you excited about? Really, just a, a continuation of that that strategy execution. Yeah. Um, you know, as you said, you're, you're working with us. We're going to be working on continuing to refine our leadership uh, effectiveness and, and going forward. Um, but uh, we're we we did the the strategy evolution last year the, the yep. true transformation which i'm very proud that we didn't allow all those other things to distract to us derail you and from just stop. yeah yeah um, we also then have been very prudent to say okay we're maybe not yet in a normal environment where we can go execute everything but equally we're not going to stop everything yeah so we're kind of metering in so what we're doing we started off the first part of this year executing on what we called our imperatives yeah. Um, on growth strategies and some of the enablers that we need to, to build up some of our supply chain capabilities, some of our digital capabilities, some of our talent and development. Um, we now have the next set of options um, that we're evaluating kind of as we see how we've done on our milestones, how the economics of the world are looking, how we're performing. Now we're starting to look at those next. And we've got uh, a whole series of things to be queued up over multiple years. The, our enterprise strategy is meant to last through the end of the decade. Right. Um, so we don't have projects laid out all no, the way through the end got of the cho- decade. You've got, decision, you've got choices, yeah. decision gates, how are we progressing? 
What's the next thing we so want to bite off a, on? It's a, it's a continuation, mm -hmm. a continuation um, of that. And then for me personally, one of the things I'm trying to prioritize more, probably not surprising given the world we just talked about that I came into, uh, I spent a lot of my time in the business versus on, on the, the business. business. Yeah. Um, and I want to start shifting that a little bit more and getting that in balance. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big believer in, in, although I've taken my own left turns, is like I don't want to take the organization through a bunch of left turns. It's a, it's a yeah. continuous flow of streams. Yeah that are coming together. Yeah, you're not having to turn around, to turn the place around, you're not having to, yeah, yeah, from a transformation standpoint, you've got those three key pillars and you're, you're going after them and that's yeah. gonna give you the sustained growth that you're looking for. Yeah, yeah it's good, that, and that, that's gonna be an exciting- I think so. Journey as well, yeah, you know. Absolutely. Um, seeing, it, seeing it play out, seeing the decisions that the organization takes and the success that's gonna come from those. The mistakes we'll make and we'll learn and we'll adjust. Yeah. And the changes that are coming up we don't even want to imagine. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, that's brilliant. Well, I think it's time we uh, wow. we, we wrapped up and headed down. Um, well, I'll finish with one, maybe I'll finish with one question. Uh, I've used it on a couple of route to the tops and that is uh, any any question that I, that I haven't asked that you thought I might. One is why did I pick why did I? Because you allowed me. To, ah, you allowed me to. That was uh, going to be my second okay. start, op, well, open, that, second opening question. Well, there's two parts yeah. to my answer, so we'll, we'll, let's go we'll for it. There. So, so why? So why we, Rocky National so Park? So here we are, in Rocky Mountain National Park. So I'm a kid who grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, on the east side of Des Moines, Iowa, and um, for the first 12 years of my life, hadn't seen nothing other than the flatlands of the of the Midwest. Yeah. You know, adjacent states, going to visit uh, families and so forth. And my one of my older brothers. Uh, moved out here in 1978 and uh, so my mom and I came out with him uh, on the move with his wife and uh, an oldest son and uh, we got here and like we're going up to Rocky Mountain National Park and and so this was the first time I ever saw anything that wasn't the flat <laughs> um, and what a view and what a spectacular yeah. view right but but I also take that back to kind of how, how it uh, impacted because I think it was one of the first times I started really thinking like, there's a world out there. Yeah. There's a world that, that I want to see. Um, and so as we were thinking, trying to come up with uh, places where maybe we could do a little little bit of a mountain climb, I'm like, oh, it'd be fun to go back 45 years, years later. later. Yeah. Um, not that I've done this particular uh, climb before, but uh, but I thought that would be uh, kind of a cool thing. At, yeah. least, at least it is for me. But, in it, but it goes to your, that adventurous spirit of, you know, coming out of Des Moines, Iowa and going to live in Wales and going to live in France and going to work in China and, and here, you know. My that, wife thinks that, I lived in Brazil for a while. Brazil yeah, for a while. <laughs> you just spent a lot of time visiting <laughs> Brazil. Um, yeah, no, they're, they're the adventures that, yeah. that get spurred on. Um, I asked you, I think it was on the way up, you know, what, what was the, the, uh, the country that like, you felt like you didn't belong mm. the most, like what are some of those? Mm. And that's, you know, it's a key, it's a key question. You know, when was the last time you felt like you didn't belong full stop? Mm. An easy answer is a foreign country because yeah, it yeah. drops you into something very different. Um, mine was actually a, a, a piece of work with a client very recently where I ended up in a, in a situation with two people uh, that I had never been in before in my, I've done a lot of facilitation, done a lot of coaching. And I was like, I have never experienced this before. And I had nowhere to go, yeah. like to, to get that. And I felt 
like in that moment in that room, like I didn't, yeah. like I didn't belong. Yeah. But how much of that has now been in my mind for the last two or three weeks? A ton. Because I've learned from it. I was like, okay, next time I would do this, and I've talked to a dozen people about it. It's like, why did I, why did I feel so out of it in that moment? And so they're the really rich well, if you put you yourself know, learning in those, moments. If you're willing to put yourself in those circumstances and survive it, yeah. you actually build up some confidence that, okay, the next time I'm in it, yeah. I'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. yeah. And I, uh, you know, going back to your four Gs, heavily relied on the group mm. uh, coming out of that situation to say, right, help me just think, help me just review this and learn from this in my own mind. You know, you weren't there, but here was the situation. And, talk, you know, when you have those kind of strong connections and that ability to uh, work together, I, I talk about it a lot from the point of resilience. Yeah. People think resilience is a, is a high individual thing, like I'm resilient, I can take on whatever, I, as long as you're fit and strong and getting enough sleep and, uh, you know, recover from setbacks and so on and so forth. Actually, the one thing that underpins resilience more than anything else is being connected to other people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that sense of connectedness is huge. Human beings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and I talk about Everest, um, and people say, you know, well, what were the key things for getting you up there? Was it the training? Was it the mm -hmm. oxygen? Was it this, that, the other? Yeah, it was all of those things and the skills, yeah. but probably the biggest thing that underpinned all of that was connectedness to the people that were there, whether that's the Sherpas or the guides or the expedition leader or mm -hmm. other team members, mm -hmm. but also the people who weren't there. Like mm -hmm. my family, my parents, yeah. my friends, who I knew were all thinking about me. Yeah. And as I was hiking up the hard stretches, I gotta I, I got got put one more foot in front of the other because I know mum is worried about yeah. this and what and this, you know, like, like that connected, that human connectedness, um, you know, helps you be more resilient yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. So. Well, you hit on my other the other one because I promised because you yeah. just got there at the end of yours. Um, the other question is, what am I wearing here? Um, so my my two kids, um, we were basically an insular family because you can imagine I'm dragging them all over, all the, over world. the world. Yeah. Um, we moved. My wife and I counted the other day. We've moved since we've been married 14 times. Wow. Um, and she also <laughs> she also informed me there won't be a 15. <laughs> uh, but uh, but as I as I indicated, uh, you know, she's she's been very flexible and obviously couldn't couldn't have done uh, anything that, that I was able to on, on my route. Yeah. Um, but the kids, too. I mean, we're pretty we're, we've got extended family, but they didn't grow up uh, with it. With an extended family, so those were always visits and things we got to do and everything. So, so anyway, um, both of them. I'm, I'm representing. You're wearing both I'm of representing, them. Who uh, went where? My son's uh, finishing up uh, grad school at Elon. My daughter's just about to start uh, grad school at Roger Williams. So, uh, so I wanted to give them a little nice. Shout out yeah, you got the you got the whole team yeah, with you. I absolutely. love it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, this is a you, you've lined me up I for like my bit. Yeah. This is I normally wear my Patagonia hat. Paul Lightfoot. Patagonia Provisions, he's one of my episodes. So I was fully Patagonia'd out, but yeah, time time for a bit of canvas logoing in the mix very cool. as well. So yeah, cool. yeah, it's good. Well, I don't know, if we, if we could guarantee this weather would hold, we might just stay up here. I think we should just go up there. I I'm, might watch you. I'm so tempted. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, right, what a pleasure. It's been great. Thanks very Thanks much. Thanks a lot, Joe.